All right, so praise God. Um, after praying this morning and uh, considering what we should talk about, and I, I kind of feel like that these little Bible studies are, I'm going to tell you, I'm kind of raring to go into some deeper stuff, but you know, I just feel like God's still saying, stay with the basics. Stay with the, the foundation. Um, as he said, you know, I told you the three-year message was that, you know, build your house upon the rock, and the rock is Jesus Christ. And if we don't know who Jesus is, guys, everything gets, gets done wrong. I really think that if Jesus is wrong, everything is wrong after that. And I think that's pretty obvious. But, um, and I think that's where so many false doctrines and false religions and false prophecies and all those come from is they don't understand the deity of Christ. They still try to mingle in what man can do to be right with God, which is as best I see it is what the word religion means. I, I can't stand it when somebody, somebody told me last night at the track meet, they said, said, well, you're religious. And I said, nope, I'm not. And they said, well, because of their lack of understanding of what Christianity really is, they call it religion. It's not religion. Religion is what man done. It, it's caused man to completely fall away from Jesus Christ. Relationship is what Christ requires. And it sounds, if you don't understand that, interpret it a little bit, it sounds like relationship... <clears throat> Sounds like, oh, well, that's kind of a, I got a relationship so I can do what I want. No, no, no. If you're in a committed relationship, it changes your life. You know, there's, there's men in this room that are married and have been married. And a marriage changes your life. Things are different. You can't just go run around with the boys anymore. You can't do the same things you did anymore. There, there, there's some freedom in that within, you know, morality. You got to understand what I'm saying. But you can't be like you were when you were single. And if you think of that a little bit, being in a relationship, it's like before you were saved, now you're saved, you're in a relationship. And it's not burdensome. Jesus' commandments are not burdensome to me because I want to please my master and I've got a relationship now that was better than anything I could have ever done in the world. The world had nothing to offer. I didn't realize that at that time, really. I was confused about it. I was in turmoil about it. But when I truly met Jesus, I had no problem giving up the world. You know, the Bible says to be friends of the world is to be the enemy of God. And so the title today, as I was sitting there this morning in my prayer room and going through this, was, Am I Saved? Am I really saved? Because I really believe this. It really concerns me that I don't know if it's just America. That's where I'm at. But when I see people that are saved in other countries, I see a radical transformation that lines up with what Jesus said would happen in a man's life. And so I'm going to share some of those scriptures with you. And first of all, in John 3, 3, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, he was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, 3. And he said, so am I supposed to go back in my mother's womb and come out again? And he said, oh, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. You see, being born again is by faith. And I think what's amazing about it is God has never asked us to do anything that he has not given us the ability to do. And it's only through him. Let me explain. In Romans 12, 3, you've heard me say that the Bible says that God has given to every man, not some men, every man, the measure of faith. That measure of faith is to believe on the deity of his son, of his word that would become flesh in John chapter 1. That's what that faith was for. Now, you're going to have to grow that faith once you put your faith in Christ, but you can be saved on your deathbed a minute before you leave this earth and go into eternity by repenting from your sin, 
and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God has given every man that faith. Now, that's a scary thing to do. And ultimately, we don't know whether they really did it or not. But the fact of the matter is, the thief on the cross did that very thing. Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Proof. There was nothing done. The man wasn't taken down on the cross and baptized in water. He never took communion. He never went to a church service. He never did anything but said, Lord Jesus, you know, obviously you're a just man. You're a righteous man. I deserve to be here. You don't. See, when he said he deserves to be there, when he realized what he was, that was a type of repentance. See, you don't recognize what you are. God can't forgive you. And then he called on him and said, you can save me. And he said, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. So he was saved. And it's a man trying to make himself feel better to do things that he thinks will get him into the kingdom of God. There are things that take place in our lives as being a Christian. That's true. But those things never make you right with God. Because I'm right with God, I do what his word says, which is called obedience. I don't do some of the things his word says, like show up at church on Sunday thinking I'm going to get into heaven. I go to church because I'm saved and because I love to fellowship with the brethren. The Bible says, forsake not yourselves from assembling together. But ultimately, I am the church, and here's the church right here, and church will be in my classroom here in just a minute. See, I am the church. Where the Spirit of God is, that is the church of Jesus Christ. You have to understand that. And so he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, remember in John 3, I just said, unless you be born again by faith, that you'll never see the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. If any man is in Christ, old things. What are the old things? The old man. Remember he just said to be born again. That means you've been born once. All of us in this room have been born once, but you must be born again. You're literally a different person whenever you truly put your faith in Christ. There is a born-again experience. I don't proclaim that you become ignorant of everything you've done wrong, because to do that might imply that you wouldn't know what you need which is a savior in Jesus Christ. I don't want to ever forget my, what I've done wrong, but I want to be ever grateful. And to be born again means I get another chance. I get a second chance. What's that chance? I've been reconciled with God. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. The blessing of Abraham's upon me. I am now a child of, of God Almighty because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ, who is God. When the disciples asked Jesus, said, how we see the Father? When we see the Father, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, people have a hard time with this, and I don't want to get sidetracked on that. And someone asked me that yesterday. They said, is there literally two or three people in heaven? The Bible says, hear, O Israel, God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one spirit. There's a manifestation of the Son in his dirt suit, so you will, flesh, that walked among men, but it's the Spirit of God that's in him. He is God. And so quit looking around for all these three people. The Holy Spirit is here on earth, but it's the same spirit that was in Christ. Man is spirit, soul, and body, yet we're looking at one person in this room on each of you. You're a three-part being, but I see one. That's God. God created spirit, soul, and body. He made man in his image. Therefore, we must be born again, okay? Romans 6, 3 through 6 says, Know ye not. That so many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now there's those that teach that you must be baptized in water to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. 
That's not what it says. It says baptized into his death. This is a spiritual baptism. Christ is spirit. Jesus told the woman at the well, Samaria says that, that, God, that, that God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So when you go down in the water in baptism, you really think you physically died? So what is this, spiritual or is this physical? Not a hard question. How many of you have been baptized? Are you physically dead? No, it's a spiritual death. It's spiritually the old carnal nature of you is put to rest. It is a proclamation, if you will, of faith that I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ even in my own life by faith in him and him alone is what it is. We are buried with him by baptism into death that is like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should also walk in newness of life. What did I just say? Behold, old things pass away in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. And all things become new. For even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So when a person asks this question, am I truly saved? Have you died? Have you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ? Have your old sin nature, have your old desires that will rise up against you from time to time. And you can read Romans 6, 7, and 8 and get a better understanding of that. Have you declared war against them yet better yet? Has the Spirit of God moved in your temple and declared war against you, against the sin nature? Has that happened? It says in Revelations 12, 11, it says, By the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony, you are saved by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. What is this testimony? It's not the testimony of you. We've got a lot of people testifying about them. We've got a lot of outreach programs, and I could list names right now, and you can find them in a heartbeat on Facebook and other places. And they preach Jesus, but when they go into the schools, well, we hadn't come here last year. Year before last, maybe. They did a little deal down here in our stadium. They stand in a gym and they proclaim something about freedom, about choices and all that, absent of the power behind it, which is the Spirit of God. Then they come to the stadium and then they mention scriptures and they put God in it. God's not welcome in our school, but he's welcome in our stadium. Blasphemy. I have no part in those ministries. I call it out. Paul called it out. The apostle Peter called it out. He called them out. This is the reason why the men of old were beheaded. This is the reason why the men of old went to prison, because they called out false ministry. Why? Because they were mean and cruel, or because they loved the people that were being lied to. Hence, there it is. See, we have a responsibility. I don't want to be mean and cruel, and I don't want to imply that I know anything because I do not, nor do I imply that I am anything because I am not. I'm a dead man. But what I do have to say is when someone's talking to you guys about false doctrine or false gospel, I must correct that. Because if I don't, do I really care about you? Am I really being obedient to Jesus Christ? We must. If I sit in a church congregation and a man gets up and proclaims some other way other than Jesus Christ, I have no choice but to stand up and rebuke him and probably get thrown out. You see these, if you go to YouTube, you'll see this. 
on Joel Osteen stuff. You'll see occasionally a man will get in and he'll stand up in the middle of the service and he'll hold his Bible up and begin to rebuke on the stage what's going on. And they'll usually have guards that'll come by and escort him out. Watch it. Go on YouTube and watch this stuff. But don't be amused. Listen to the words. Not everyone who rebukes is, is righteous either. Listen to the words. But when a man proclaims your best life now, when a man proclaims that, there's, that God is more interested in you than he is in what his son has done for you, you better run. You better run from your life. You better get out. Because you've opened a door to Satan in your life in the name of Christ, but it's another Christ. It's an anointing from hell. It's not the anointing of God. It's what it is. When a, when a message proclaims what you can have in this life, instead of death and surrender, you see, dead people are not interested in all the things. So you're saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. That testimony is Jesus. In Acts 1.8, it says that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. I'll stop right there. That's Jesus talking. You shall witness unto me. My testimony is Jesus Christ and what he has done through me. It's not about Coach Shelby. Coach Shelby's nothing. He deserves to be in hell. He's just like the thief on the cross that said, Lord, I'm deserving of death. I'm deserving of hell. But I love you, and I put my faith and trust in you. How can a man make those kind of statements unless God gave him that ability? He's not capable. He's born in sin, therefore he must be born again. I can't even cry out to God unless the Holy Spirit gives me the power to do exactly what I said. You can't be saved unless God does that. It's impossible. To imply otherwise would mean that we could save ourselves. I can save myself, I can go get water baptized. I can save myself, I can go take communion. I can save myself because I'm a member of the First Baptist Church. I can save myself because I pay my tithes and offerings. Blasphemy, guys. By faith and faith alone are we saved. In Romans 10, 9, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So how are you saved? By believing in your heart and confessing out of your mouth. I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I'm saved by what God has already engrafted and planted in me. I speak it out of my mouth and invite the Spirit of God in my life to destroy all that opposes God. I must be born again. It goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 1, 16 through 18, it says, And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. I have a, anyway, I won't go into that. Besides, I know, no, I know not whether I baptized any other. This is Paul talking. To the church of Corinth, born-again people. They were all arguing over baptism. Water baptism. And he said, I don't know if I baptized any of you. I baptized some, you know, I, I don't know. For Christ sent me not to baptize. Now, that's pretty amazing if baptism saves me. He didn't send me to baptize, so he'd send him not to bring people into the kingdom of God. We know that's not true. We read the scripture. He says, but to preach the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Where's the power of God? Where's it found? In the cross. Isn't that what he just said? What happened at the cross? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should do what? Believe on him? Or go do this, this, and this. All the sacraments and all those things. Which is it? To believe 
or for us to go do something, then God said, oh, I'm really pleased with you, Prendel. I, I tell you what, you're good with me. See, man can be pleased by those things we do, but God can't be. By how? By faith. Am I saved? Have I truly put my faith in Christ? And as I put my faith in Christ, then Christ himself will lead me to do my public profession, to be baptized in water. He will lead me to do this as often as we want to bring remembrance of what he's done for us on the cross, which is our communion. But most people have this backwards. They think they're righteous because they do those things, but they have no faith in Christ and the evidence is all over their life. Matthew 7. Not saved. Matter of fact, Paul told the church of Corinth, and I don't have time to read it. He says, many of you bring judgment on yourselves because when they would come together and do the Lord's Supper, they came together to eat. They didn't come together to remember what Christ had done for them. If your faith is not in Christ and what he did at the cross, that's it, exclusively, Christ alone, nothing else. I'm going to caution you if somebody cares about you. Do not take communion. Paul said many sleep because they take the Lord's Supper unworthily. That's what he was talking about. They sleep. He was talking about dead. They wasn't taking naps. Many of them brought sickness into their bodies because they disrespected communion because they didn't know Christ and the sacrifice of the cross and they took communion thinking that was going to make them right with God. I know brothers and sisters that have coached with me at other places that would go take communion every Saturday night and thought they were right with God, cussing like a sailor on Sunday, running around on their wives, drinking as much alcohol as they can drink, but they said, I've got to go to confession and I've got to go take communion on Saturday night so that I can go to heaven in case I die. I said, brother, you're going straight to hell. Christ didn't come into your life and allow you to keep doing those things. And if you're doing those things, you are absolutely miserable because the conviction of God is all over you. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. I wish I could talk about that a little bit, but obviously we, I can't. I just, we don't have time in this meeting. But evidence of salvation, Galatians 5, 16 and 17, since I alluded to that, says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Whose spirit? Whose spirit are we being led by? Is it the spirit of the world, the Antichrist spirit? Is it your spirit? Or is it the spirit of Christ that's leading you? For the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Did you see that? You can't participate in the world because you can't do the things that you would because the spirit of God in you has declared war against your spirit and when you do those things and you go out and have, you have these drinks and you go out fornicating and you go out telling dirty jokes and even when you sit down in the cafeteria of the classroom and you feel this burn in you that you need to talk about Jesus you're, you're tormented once you get born again until you surrender to Christ and if that torment and if that's not the right word that's the only word I have at this moment then you've got to go back and ask yourself, am I saved? Because if you are, then what God says being saved is not the same thing you're saying God being saved means. And it goes on to say this. So the spirit and the flesh war against each other. Galatians 2, 20 and 21, you know this one. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So you're dead, but his desire is working through you. I believe it's in... Uh, second Peter chapter 1 it says that the divine nature has come in you when you put your faith in Christ and what he did at the cross that means his sacrifice for your sin and you accept that and you repent 
and turn from your sin and begin to follow him, the divine nature comes in you, which declares war, according to Galatians that I just spoke. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by faith, I live by faith, I don't know how so many people miss this, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm better able to walk sinless by faith in Christ than I ever could by doing my own religious activities. Because my own religious activities imply that I'm operating by the law. And if I live by the law, I will, I will be judged by the law is what the Bible says. Let me read on to explain. Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. The Son of God is the power in my life to change my life. The Son of God. The Spirit of Christ. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not frustrate the grace of God. Y'all know what grace is, unmerited favor. Don't frustrate this. Grace comes to those who believe. He's a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Listen to this closely. For if righteousness, dekalsune is the Greek word for that, to be right with God, to walk in right standing with God, if righteousness comes by law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, let me say it this way. What Christ did at the cross is of no effect to you. Has no power in your life. And without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we are headed straight to hell. You cannot be saved except through the work of the cross that Christ alone could do. I must lay at the cross of Christ until he gives me the power to stand up denying myself, pick up my cross, which means denying my place in this world, so to speak, and following him. How? By his word, by prayer, by putting his will above my will, denying myself, picking up my cross. If righteousness comes by the law, let me explain this to you because a lot of people don't, their mind automatically goes to the Ten Commandments. Law is anything that you create, even your religion, anything that's not by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Anything, even righteous things. That's a whole mouthful, and there's a whole lot of teaching there. Even righteous things without faith in Christ is a law unto you, and you'll be judged. Because if you really want to get down to it, does anybody in this room think that every thought that you have is perfect? Nope. Everybody in this room think that you do exactly what God's told you to do every day. Do you go into all the world every day and tell everybody about Jesus? Nope. So though you do it some... You're still disobedient because you're only taking part of the test. You still fail. If I'm judged by the law, I will be found guilty 100%. But through Christ and following Christ alone by faith in him and what he did at the cross, through this grace, this mercy that he's given me, this desire to follow him, he will lead me into the paths of the righteous. But if I'm not spending time with him, if I don't have that relationship with him, if I have a religion with him, I'll know about him. But if I have a relationship with him, I will know him. Now he becomes one. Romans 8 says, know you not that you're joint heirs with Jesus Christ? He's the chief cornerstone. He's what brings it all together. Is he 
welcome at your lunch table? Is he welcome in your home? Are you bold enough to go home and say, Mom and Dad, can we drop down by the coffee table tonight and have a prayer before bed? Are you bold enough, even if you get smacked for it? Is he that important to you? So alone, even things that the Bible says we are to do without faith in Christ exclusively in the cross become a law unto us which we will be judged by and condemned by. Whether it be baptisms, whether it be sacraments, whether it be religion, whatever it be, will become a snare, will become a hindrance, will become a judgment unto you. Because no man, your, your righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. God can only recognize his son in you, period. Well, if we haven't totally surrendered to him by acknowledging what we are, we can't have what I just said. By faith and faith alone, let me read this to you real quick. And I don't know how much time I got. Let me see, 741. In Revelation 3 and 14 through 22, let me finish by reading this because I believe that whether it's true or not, but I believe this, that we are the Laodicean church of the book of Revelation. And in verse 13, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. This is God speaking. I know your works. I know your works, America. I know your works, popular preacher on TV. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were one or the other. So that when you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you. I will vomit you. I will spit you out of my mouth. You see, God's, you see what I'm saying? We, we, we're, we, we, as a nation, we're playing church. We, we sit in church and we daydream. We go to church, but with the church, you are the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am. If I never walked in a proper church in America again, I'm still right with God because I have faith in what his work on the cross was. And I put my faith in him. I don't have to go to a building. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to go to one. But I'm saying if your trust is there, you're lost. Period. That man in that pulpit needs the same blood you need. And without it, he'll burn. I don't care what title man has given him. I don't care. I will spew you out of my mouth because sometimes you're, you're, you're doing what I ask you to do. Sometimes you're not. You're half in, half out, one foot in, one foot out. You're lukewarm. And I like my coffee hot, God says. <laughs> I don't want nothing lukewarm. Verse 17, because you say I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and know not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's what God's saying to the church today. Know you not. You say you got things, you got beautiful buildings, you got money, nice suits, nice cars, all of this stuff. You're wretched, you're blind, you're deaf. You can't see me. You've created another God. And you call him Jesus. 
I counsel you, for I am the spirit of counsel, the Holy Ghost. I am the teacher. That you buy me of me gold tried in fire, that you may be rich and have white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So those that God loves, he does what? He rebukes and he chastens. Has God rebuked you lately? That just simply means he corrects you. The Holy Spirit is not blind and mute. He speaks loud and clear. Has he spoken to you? Am I saved? A person that says they don't hear from God, I got to go with the word. It's not my right to judge anybody. I ultimately do not know. That's God's power. But it is my job to proclaim the truth of God's word as he said it, not as my opinion says it. And in his word, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Chasten means to scourge, whip, correct, as a father does a son. Do you hear from God? Is there a burn in you? Is there a knife in your chest, in your heart, when you're doing the things that God says don't do? When you entertain those things, just the absence of his name coming out of your mouth, does that bother you? If it does not, you better go with the word. Word says if he ain't chastening you, you're not his. That's hard. But I thank God for hardness. Because you want to tell you what's hard? In the end, when he says what? Depart from me. I never knew you. That's hard. None of us want to hear that. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I will sup with him and I will be with him. He's knocking. He's knocking right now. This is his word I'm reading. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Where am I going to be sitting? In the throne of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm seated far above all principality power, rulers of darkness, spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Because Christ is far above those things and he just said... That if I have overcome, how to overcome? By faith in him and what he's done, then he's going to let me sit with him in his throne. That's pretty cool, isn't it, Natalie? Now, if you're sitting in his throne, it might change the way you sit in class today. <laughs> it might change what you talk about in the hallway if you're seated with Christ. I mean, there's some things you wouldn't talk about in front of your mama. But this Christ we claim to have, we have no problem with it. Mm, am I saved? Am I saved? Coach Shelby, you always got these hard lessons. Yes, because I expect to see every face right here when Jesus is sitting here teaching and we're all gathered around him one day. I got to have that. God told me years ago when I was walking by a slim trophy room at a school that didn't win too much that I was dumb enough to think I could change. I went in and looked at the two or three trophies I had from the ancient of days. And he said, no matter how many rings and trophies you have, when it's all said and done, if the kids that I've made you responsible over are not with you in my kingdom, you failed me. Your job as a coach will be determined by the kind of young men and young ladies that they become. The men and women of God, when they leave these schools, that will be your evaluation as a coach, not what the school gives you. Your evaluation comes from me, the Lord. That's powerful. And you know, I say that, you go, oh, Coach Shelby, you're really special. You heard from God. Let me help you. He just said that to you. That was a thought from the Holy Spirit, yet not a thought, a directive, a command, 
a truth from the Holy Spirit. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I've overcome and am set down with my Father in his throne. And he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Guys, God is speaking loud and clear to the church today. I believe it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I believe that you are the church of Jesus Christ. And I believe that his congregation is assembled right here in this high school today. I believe that. You've got to get that down inside of you and get rid of this religion that says church is on Sunday morning in some building made by the hands of man. You are the church, and the church of God is mobile. If you read the book of Acts, they went. They went from house to house. They met in the synagogue. They went everywhere they went. They talked about Jesus. And the reason why signs, wonders, and miracles took place, because they didn't keep him in a box on Sunday or Wednesday night. But I'm sorry, all due respect. People ain't going to like it. Well, they didn't like the apostles either. They killed them. Well, uh, Natalie, you can't do that here. Nah, I'm sorry, all due respect, ma'am. All due respect, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> I won't dance when the music plays. Now, you might kick me out. You might put me in ISS. You might do this. You might do that. And I hope you don't do that. And I respect your position and your authority as my teacher or my principal or my mom or my dad or whatever it is but I can serve no other God but Jesus. And if you're asking me to deny Jesus, I can't, no deal, I can't do that. Do what you need to do. If you need, if, if I've got detention, do what you need to do. I'll read my Bible in detention. <laughs> do what you gotta do. Because Jesus gave his life for me. He paid a sin debt he did not owe. And now I give him my life, which means there may be consequences on earth, but the benefit is eternal life with him. So, Father, thank you. We bless you as this bell rings. Let this bell send us into all the world to preach your gospel today. Let the truth of your word dig deep down in our spiritual garden. Let the roots of the wicked one be uprooted. Let the weeds be removed. Let us stop hedging and trimming, and let us go to the root with the axe with the word of God. Lord God, that we may be saved that the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, be poured out in our hearts, that we may put our faith exclusively in your work, Jesus, at the cross of Calvary. Father, we love you and we need you and we bless you. Send us forth today in Jesus' mighty name. And if you believe that by any stretch whatsoever, you said amen. amen. Praise God.